Uh, I'm Alex Newman, back for our fifth podcast, talking to Julia Evans. Welcome. Hello. Could you tell me a little bit about yeah. what you do for a living, how you get involved in Rust, and um, how long you've been using it for? So for a living, I do machine learning, um, which is somewhat different from Rust. Um, and the way I learned about Rust is I was at the Recurse Center, um, formerly known as Hacker School, um, which is this place where you go for three months to just like do fun programming things all the time. Um, and while I was there, I wanted to do things that I didn't know how to do. So I was like, well, I should maybe write an operating system because I have no idea how to do that at all, like really at all. <laughs> um, and I like kind of heard about Rust and I was sort of vaguely interested in it, but I didn't have any like systems for, or I kept on thinking like, I don't have any like real like systems projects to work on. And then one day it was Friday night um, and I was talking to Lindsay Cooper, who used to work on the Rust project, I think in 2012. Yep. Um, and she was like, Julia, you are saying at the same time that you want to build an operating system and that you don't have any systems projects. Like these are like not compatible statements. <laughs> Maybe you should like try to like learn about operating systems in Rust. And I was like, oh, obviously. Is that, that totally makes sense. <laughs> that, that seems like a a pretty, I mean, it makes sense, but it also seems like, oh my gosh, write my own operating system. Um, yeah, oh yeah, I mean, I didn't know how to do it at all, which was a small obstacle. <laughs> um, but it turns out that, like, so the Rust, like the, the Rust channel on IRC was like super amazing. Um, and then there were like tons of resources and people like asked my question, like would answer all my questions all the time. Um, when I was like, what is a string and how do I use it? Like in Rust. That's great. Actually, I'm curious what other IRC rooms. Did you ever uh, lurk on the OS dev on Freenode or were the Rust uh, guys and gals useful enough? Um, I was mostly, I mostly hang out in the Rust channel. Yeah. It was basically like, well, I have like this time at the best place in the world to learn about like computers. So I just wanted to do things that I didn't know how to do. Because um, I was like, I can write like a web app. So I won't like web apps were like not allowed, um, and like uh, like I did some other stuff like I like writing like a kernel module right, um, which is also like a relatively approachable project. It turns out. Yeah, totes. Um, what did I want to say? Was that Linux kernel project part of the program, or was that also just like oh I'm gonna write a Linux kernel pro uh, module? Yeah, like I, it was just like, oh, let's write a Linux kernel module. Yeah, I see. so I wrote like a rootkit. Um, yeah, I that's kind of googled like, how do I write a rootkit? <laughs> that one. That's right. great. That, yeah. that is that is super wonderful. I um, I I think this is like a a great way to to get into Linux, and you know, uh, they often say like the hardest part about writing a Linux kernel module is learning actually how to submit the patch to the kernel. Uh, right, three. yeah. And then if you're just trying to learn, you don't have to submit the patch to the kernel. So it becomes super easy. There you go. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Do you remember what Linux kernel you wrote your module against? Um, so I think 3.2, 3.1 or something? 3.1? I'm running 3.13 right now, and I haven't upgraded my kernel a lot since 2013. Okay, very cool. Um, 
So now uh, are, you're you're back in the the Rust game with this cool uh, tutorial segment about writing uh, an operating system in right. Rust. Yeah. Um, so I found this like toy project where someone had like Charlie Somerville, I think, um, is his name. I hope um, had written something which like let you boot into like he'd written like a bootloader. And it would turn the screen red and then like hang, which was an awesome thing to start with because I do not know where to start. So I was like, well, if you wrote a thing that can turn the screen red and hang, I can definitely make it turn blue and hang forever, right? Like, This is like Rust Boot or... Yeah, this uh, is Rust Boot, yeah. Um, and so like that was like a really awesome like jumping off point. And then I was like, okay, if I can turn it blue, like can you print things to the screen, right? Um, and then you totally can print things to the screen really easily because it's just this address. Um, and then you put like strings into memory at that address or not strings, but you put like bytes into memory at that address and then you can print stuff. Um, and it's like very straightforward. It turns out to like print characters to the screen because it's just like this place in memory and you just put stuff there and you're done. Yeah, it's almost even simpler, right? It's, in fact, really easy to write an operating system, right? Yeah, well, so <laughs> that's really easy. How about, um, how about getting it to crash? Were you, were, were, how long did it take you before you were able to get your operating system to crash? So the second thing I tried to do, I didn't try to make it crash on purpose, I think, because I ended up making cra it crash by accident enough times. Um, so the second... Um, and actually, final thing I tried to do was to write a keyboard driver um, from scratch. Uh, right. So all the Carnot map logic and... Yeah. Yeah. So, like, you need to write... Well, so you need to learn that, like, um, it works by interrupts. And then you need to write, like, an interrupt handler to figure out, like, to make some code run. So like the principle of it is kind of is kind of simple, right? Because you basically just need to write a callback where every time you press a key like J, um, you run code that prints J to the screen, which you know how to do because that was the first thing we learned how to do, right? Yes. Um, but then it turns out that like everything went wrong along the way. <laughs> um. Yeah. Like so, what what went wrong? along the way to running like so like one of the main things that would go wrong is it would just like it would either like freeze or crash most of the time like i would do what i thought that was the right thing from like the things i'd read on like os the os dev wiki and then it would just like crash and i was and i'd be like oh okay that sucks and then i'd like go read the wiki again <laughs> and then be like why did it crash and then it was like oh you needed to do this other thing right yeah, and we'll put, uh, I should also mention, we're going to put uh, show notes to the, uh, not only your tutorial, but the OS Dev wiki. Uh, oh, yeah, which is us. way better than anything that I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, I have also spent the, the, the same hours um, crashing operating systems reading that wiki. Although I found, I found your, your tutorial, I have to admit, I haven't, um, I haven't read through it, you know, like an expert yet. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I thought it was pretty cool. And, uh, you know, OS Dev is certainly not Rust-centric, so I think there's still value in other, in other voices. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I think, oh, I, the, the weirdest thing that I found that I remember, I, I forgot about this. Um, so there's this thing called the PIC, which stands for Programmable Interrupt Controller. Um, so like you have an interrupt, um, like two, and then that gets looked up in like an interrupt table, um, which seems like straightforward, except that like it's mapped so that like you actually need to set it up so that interrupt like two gets mapped to interrupt 34. Like you need to add 32 to everything just because of like an x86 design flaw from the 90s. Ah, uh, yes. Which was very surprising to me because they were like, oh, well, it's x86, so you can never change it ever, even if you made a mistake in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that took me a really long time to like, because that's not the kind of thing you can ever like guess, right? Like you need to go read some wiki somewhere. Well, now, and then after that, I read that you went straight to the infamous allocate memory. Oh, yeah. I, so so yeah. Be, before we get into how, or like what you did, um, you know, a lot of the people on the show might not have really thought about what operating systems are doing when they're allocating memory. Um, so I'm, I'm curious if you're willing to give us a operating system 101 uh, in terms of like, you know, trying to understand what Malik's doing under the hood. Yeah, we can talk about Malik. Um, so, I mean, the basic challenge in allocating memory is you need to, um, you have a bunch of memory and someone asks you for like, I don't know, two megabytes of memory and then you, you just need to return an address, right? Um, and ostensibly you need to free memory, uh, but there's no, there's like kind of strictly speaking, no requirement that you do that, right? Like you, the simplest memory allocator you can write is one which just like allocates memory, allocates like two megabytes um, and then like increments and then gives you the next address and then keeps going. Um, that's actually a lie, right? Because the simplest memory allocator you can write is one which just always returns the same address. Um, that's true. Why allocate more than one thing at a time? Right. If you need to allocate multiple things, just get a bigger thing and put them both in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, so, and you can actually do this in Rust. Like, you can implement uh, malloc to just always return the same address. And then when you compile your Rust programs and you're like, um, allocate something on the heap, and you're like, A equals 3, and then B equals 2, and then C equals 5, then they end up all equal to 5, um, because every time you run malloc, you get the same address. It's, it's a special form of compression, I think. <laughs> Yeah. That's cool. We'll have to name that a question algorithm after you. So uh, under underneath the uh, the hood, um, there's kind of two types of memory, right? We've got like the physical memory in the machine, mm -hmm. and then a lot of operating systems will have this separate abstraction around uh, virtual memory. Yeah. Um, you wanna describe that a, a bit and uh, and say what your what your Rust implementation's relationship with them. So I definitely did not implement virtual memory. Um, so to work with virtual memory, there's this thing called, what's it called? The, there's a piece of hardware, right? In your the computer. MMU and TLBs are the ones. Yeah, the MMU, the memory management unit. Uh, I believe that's what that stands for. Yeah, um, right. 
So when you have virtual memory, that means that each program has like its own address space, um, which translates like physical um, to physical memory. Um, and there, I was actually really surprised to learn that the MMU existed like in 2013. Because I was like, oh, there's like special hardware to like map like addresses to physical memory. That's really cool. Um, and which means that if you're writing an operating system, you need to like write code to like talk to that hardware um, to make it fast. In, I guess in principle, you could write Dell yourself, right? Like you could write your own like virtual memory thing where you do all the work without using the MMU at all. But then it would be slow. And all your memory accesses would be slow, which would be bad. Well, could you avoid using the MMU? I don't know. I have questions now. Yeah, you know, um, I, uh, well, I don't know. I mean, there's certainly there there are systems that, that don't use MMUs, uh, do it in software or TLBs. Yeah. Um, famously, like the VR10K, uh, I think it is the one that I'm I'm coming up with off the top of my head. Um, I've actually uh, heard the notion that you know the whole world's going to be JavaScript now anyway, so <laughs> I don't even need a, a process <laughs> isolation. Gary Bernhardt's talk. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, so 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 perhaps it it isn't. Uh, Perhaps MMUs are not the future. Uh, you know, I always, whenever I think MMU, I think of the manned maneuvering unit, um, which is a different, a different thing altogether. Um, so I want to, I want to ask you a question that was prompted to me from uh, uh, Andrew uh, uh, or Hoverbear, uh, and um, which is, you know, well, one, uh, I think you should probably enlighten the audience about kind of like. STD versus core and all that stuff, because uh, that's probably something you had to run into. Mm -hmm. And then also maybe a little bit about um, programming Rust and, and kind of these lower level meta languages. And then finally, to top it all off, um, you know, he, he was asking about, you know, what, what features would you like to see in Rust to make all this stuff just easier and better? And mm. I don't know if you've figured that out, but I'm going to put you on the spot for it. <laughs> or, or I should say, you know, in general, like, you know, um, do you think as, where as a community should we be putting our effort into making, you know, future exploration in this space more exciting and, and fun? Yeah. So I'll, I'll take those one at a time. Um, you asked about STD versus core, um, which is a really good question. So. And th this was kind of hard for me to understand at first, or I had to think about it because I was like, okay, I'm writing an operating system. That's weird because usually when I write programs, I have an operating system, right? <laughs> um, and in particular, like normally when you run a program, it has things like system calls in it, um, and it has things like memory allocation and has things like the ability to print things. Um, and if you're writing an operating system, you can't, like, you don't have any of that, right? Um, so if you compile a regular Rust program, it, it like, it, it can't possibly be an operating system because it's trying to use an operating system. So this, like, there's this, I, I guess it's like a Rust module now, or it's an incantation, mm -hmm. um, where you can say, like, hey, Rust, Pretend like there's no operating system, right? Like get rid of all of the stuff that needs an operating system. Like so, for example, you immediately lose all support for like threads, right? And if you try to use like thread stuff, it's over. You can't. You can't allocate memory. 
um, you can't like print anything. So you lose like kind of large parts of like the Rust standard library, um, but you're still left with the core language, um, which is like why you probably know and love Rust so much. I mean, I don't know, like I'm not like super heavily involved in the Rust community. Um, so, but I like get really positive impressions from it. So like, like I, I wrote, um, I, I put up some slides for a talk recently where I was like, why I love Rust and I, I like drew pictures. Um, and everyone was like, wow, Julia, this is so nice. Um, and everyone just seems like really welcoming still and things seem to be really good. I have like, so I guess like, I feel like the Rust community's like cultural contribution is really good to like the world yeah. of programming. That's cool. Yeah, it's like, it's like really hardcore language, right? But then everyone is really nice. So um, my partner writes a lot of Rust. Uh, and he's really into this library called Nix right now. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the, the distro Nix? The Unix distro Nix? No. The Rust library. Oh, wow. OK. Yeah. Um, and the premise it's sort of a wrapper around glibc as i understand it i'm hoping that's right um so basically like the idea is you want to do systems programming and normally you would do it in c and it would be a pain um and so so, so nix kind of like wraps glibc and gives it like kind of more rust like apis um and it means that everything can like type check a lot better and what I like about that, and like what I find so interesting about it, is that it makes like things like system programming a lot more accessible to kind of like regular people, right? Totally. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah. Writing, even writing a program like LS or PS nowadays, like see all these bugs coming out, and oh, sometimes they're in libc, but yeah. it's not in libc itself. Uh, like having, like you know, I think I think that we're kind of entering a time where you know, when I got involved in open source, the people writing the two and three letter commands, um, a lot of them were uh, a lot younger than the people I see writing the two, three, or four letter commands nowadays. And there's kind of like this generational divide between those who are writing like JavaScript and those who kind of view themselves as having the discipline to write C. And then like whenever I hear I have the discipline to do X, I get very skeptical that they're like better people or smarter in some magical way. And I think the reality of the situation is that like Rust empowers people to be able to develop these like two, three, and four letter commands that otherwise there's no way, you know, there's no way I would ever feel comfortable writing like a better PS. Yeah. Um, but with Rust, I, I, I think I totally feel comfortable doing that. Yeah. Um, and like, I think also like you're much more likely to get support within the Rust community for doing that. Whereas like there's no like C community, right? Or like, you can't go to like the C channel on Freenode and get help, right? Like there is it's secret and they're mean. Right. Like it's secret and they're mean. Yeah. So like I feel yeah. like if I wanted to write like PS on Rust in Rust, like I could get help, not just with Rust, but also like there'd be people who know about that kind of programming, right? Absolutely. And um, and to be honest, writing Rust is gonna make you a better C programmer. So <laughs> Just because, yeah. you know, I mean, I know for, for years from my own personal experience that 
Um, you know, I wrote a lot of C without understanding really what was going on with, with memory, and Russ really kind of brings it to the fore, makes what is implicit explicit, which is cool. Yeah. <clears throat> Julia, thank you so much for showing up to Rusty Radio. Uh, oh, I'm supposed to say something. That's perfect. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Thanks for having me.